Yesterday, the darkness was thick. The air unbreathable. Yesterday, we were defeated. Lost. Without hope. But that was yesterday. And now, a new day begins. The night is over. The sun is rising. And darkness is on the run. Because this is the day that changes everything. This is the day we dare to hope. This is the day we are brave enough to believe. This is the day we face down every fear and brazenly look in the empty tomb. This is the day sight is restored. The day that life takes its first breath. The day that thorns... Yesterday, the darkness was thick. The air unbreathable. Yesterday, we were defeated. Lost. Without hope. But that was yesterday. And now, a new day begins. The night is over. The sun is rising. Darkness is on the run. Because this is the day that changes everything. This is the day we dare to hope. This is the day we are brave enough to believe. This is the day we face down every fear and brazenly look in the empty tomb. This is the day sight is restored. The day that life takes its first breath. The day that thorns are replaced with a crown. This is the day that death is reversed. Light overcomes darkness. Wonder defies sorrow. Today we look to the heavens, alive with hope, and boldly proclaim. This is the day the Lord has made. you all with us this morning. I'm excited. I, I love Easter, but you know what? My love for Easter isn't based on the fact that it's easy for me to know what I'm going to preach on that Sunday. It's not based on the fact that there's Good Friday usually off, although for those of us that are involved in ministry, this is a very, very busy weekend. And it's not even because of the Reese's peanut butter eggs. Although those are really good. I was telling somebody, I said, I don't know what it is. To me, those are better than the Reese's peanut butter cups. But it is because of the empty tomb. Because the empty tomb proclaims to us that we are no longer without hope. In fact, it proclaims to us that we are never without hope. 
See, Easter is the perfect time for anybody who has ever considered following Christ to come and to hear the message. I know this morning as we start this service, there are many different types of people that types of people that are here. There are those that have been following Christ for years, and for you, this is just a this is a ramped up Sunday from every other Sunday that you have as you come on a regular basis. For some of you, maybe you you come occasionally and and you haven't quite made that decision, but maybe it's that that place in your life where you're saying, you know what, I, I'm I'm kind of ready to put a foot in the door. I'm kind of thinking about maybe believing in this Jesus thing. Or maybe there's some of you that are here today because somebody promised you a free meal if you came. Or maybe you came and you're visiting somebody and they said, hey, if you're going to be in this house, you got to come to the house of the Lord with me because today is Easter Sunday. Whatever the case is, I'm here to tell you today that today is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. You know, we, we can look at it, and you showed up on the perfect day. And the other thing about today is this, that I know that there are bound to be some here. that you say, what is this all about? You know, maybe you are here for the peanut butter eggs. That's okay. It's okay. There's going to be lots of candy, trust me. But today I'm here to talk about a subject that we can all believe in, and that's hope. Hope. We all long for it, right? We all desire hope. You know, if we have hope, we can keep going through difficult times. When we don't have hope, we struggle. When we don't have hope, life becomes difficult. When we don't have hope, it's how am I going to carry on? And if we don't have hope, many times what do we do? We look back to the good old days of the past, and many times we make the, the good old days better than they actually were when they existed. Somebody said that happiness yesterday is nostalgia. Happiness tomorrow is hope. We all need hope. So maybe you're here today, maybe this idea of hope seems like a pipe dream. And and if you say, but you don't understand, life has dealt me nothing but trouble. And you may be right. Some of us may not understand everything you've been through and everything you face because we all have different walks. We all have different things that we face. But there's one thing that I know to be true without a doubt is that because of the empty tomb, we are never without hope. Never without hope. And because of this, so when I think of Easter, I think very easily, just it was easy for me to find the theme for this year, hope rising. Because when that tomb opened and Jesus stepped out alive, our hope rose to a new level. We had something we could believe in, something we could hope in. And if you think about that, so I want you to think about this. Because of what Jesus did on that very first Easter morning, God Almighty never looks at any single one of us and says, I'm sorry, there is no hope for you. Let that sink in for a moment. Because so many times we get caught up, we think, well, there, there is no hope. You don't understand. I'm telling you, because of the cross of Christ, because of the empty tomb, God never looks at a single one of us and says, there is no hope for you. Think about this. There are billions of people all over the world this weekend who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who lived on this earth. 
That in itself is a miracle. Think about this. He only became a public figure for about three years of his life. He never traveled from his home more than about 30 miles. He never spoke in front of the cameras. He never personally penned a book, even though many, many have been written about him. He wasn't even earthly royalty. He was born to a low family. But I want you to think about this also. On the other hand, Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor. He's a key figure in history. Think about it. He literally made many of the changes in the Roman Empire that caused it to become great. But the truth is, you probably can't tell me anything that Caesar Augustus did. Unless you're a historian. But I bet you that most everybody here can tell me several things that Jesus did. So how did this Jewish carpenter, how did this, this man that was born in this low family, how did he grow to the stature that he grew to? How is it that Caesar Augustus became a footnote in his story? That in itself is a miracle. I mean, when you're putting on the Christmas program, you don't cast anybody to play Caesar Augustus. The narrator might say, in those days, Caesar sent out a decree that a census would be taken and everybody would return to the place of their ancestors. That's it. But yet, Jesus is all Throughout history, Jesus changed the world. Today, all over the world, multitudes of every color will gather in Jesus' name. They will lift up their hands. They will sing songs about the incredible things that he has done in every single language you can imagine. That is a miracle. Oh, you can try to argue and say, well, it's, he, he gained so much status because he became... It is the legend became greater than the man. I would counter no, it's because the living hope he offers is greater than anything humanly possible. My prayer today is that everyone will here will leave knowing that hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I know we don't use the word abound very much, but that means a whole lot of hope. How many of you could use a little hope? So my first thought this morning is pretty simple. Hope lived. Jesus lived so that we can all have hope. That was the purpose and the reason that he came. If you're a skeptic today and there may, may be some questions you have that need to be answered, maybe you're asking, are these, are these stories of Jesus accurate and reliable? Are they only partially true with, with some flaws in it that things that got exaggerated over the years? Are, or could they be just these massive exaggerations or are they flat out a myth? 
And sometimes you get those challenges and you answer those questions because we live in a world that wants to cast doubt on anything that has anything to do with hope. But if we were to put the validity of this idea of Jesus living and the hope that he brings on trial, the first question to be asked would be, are there any eyewitnesses? And the answer to that is yes. Matter of fact, we have recorded eyewitness testimony that Jesus walked this earth and did these things. The gospels were written by the disciples Matthew and John who wrote their account firsthand because they were part of the group that traveled with Jesus and walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus for that whole span of time that he was going about doing his ministry. We also have the recording of Mark, who was a close friend of the disciple Peter and Luke. There was a historian and a friend of Paul and a first century journalist. All of these writers take into account many, many other eyewitnesses. Let me read you what Luke wrote, the first four verses. He said this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compel a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely from time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have the certainty concerning the things you've been taught. See, we have eyewitness testimony. We have the writings of those, and Jesus but many times people ask, well, was there, is there any evidence outside of the Bible that shows that Jesus was a real person that walked this earth, that, was, that he was who he said he was? You see, because the truth is we didn't have, if we didn't have any of the New Testament writings, if we didn't have any of these things, would there still be enough that we can learn about Jesus that were written maybe perhaps from somebody that's a non-Christian, somebody on the outside? And the answer of that question is absolutely Yes. We have the writings of Josephus, the Talmud, Tacticus, Pliny the Younger, and many others. There are historical documents that have been preserved that declare that Jesus is who he said he was, even though they weren't on his side. Josephus was a very important Jewish historian in the first century. He was a priest, and he was a Pharisee. He was not exactly a fan of Jesus. Even though, think about this, he even wrote that he believed Emperor Vespian was the Jewish Messiah. This is not a fan of Jesus. And he completed a work on the Jewish history around AD 93. So we're talking not that far removed from the time that Jesus walked this earth. And here's what he wrote. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, right, he's putting himself in that group, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him first did not forsake him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. Think about that. Josephus confirms that Jesus lived and was crucified. He confirms that Jesus performed miracles. He also confirms that his followers remained solid and grew while holding tightly to the very hope that Jesus had proclaimed. So 
Here's another question. Why didn't the death of Jesus kill this hope? It's simple because the empty tomb declares we are never without hope. But the truth is, for a period, hope in a sense died. Jesus gave his life, but he gave his life for our wrongs, not his. He himself told his disciples on one occasion in John 15, 13, greater love has no one less than someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus had told his disciples on several occasions that, that, this, that this time was coming and they couldn't even comprehend the thought because it was outside of their mind of thinking. They, they knew, they, they wrapped their brains around who Jesus was so they couldn't fathom a world where he would be required to give his life. And so even though Jesus told them what was coming, they didn't understand, they couldn't comprehend it. So you can imagine what it must have been like for them when he died. No doubt they briefly thought that hope had died with him because they had put their hope in him. They put their trust in him. They thought, I mean, you read it, they were arguing over who was going to be seated at his right hand when he became ruler. So you can imagine they lost a lot of hope when that time and that moment came that he lost his life. But that loss, that death of hope didn't last long because in three days that hope was rising. And we all have sessions. We all have seasons in our life where hope can waver. When you're going along and something hits you by the blind side, something comes up, something pops into your life, something transpires, something changes, that all of a sudden the hope that you had is knocked on the ropes. It's just barely there if it's still hanging on. And you're just barely getting by. And you're trying to figure out, what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to make it? And it seems like all hope is lost. We know that there are seasons this can happen. We know there had to be a season that doubts begin to creep in to the disciples. Can you imagine they were following him? Now all of a sudden, the one they put their hope in is dead. The one they put their hope in is laying in a tomb. And they're wondering, what are we going to do? It's all over. Man, we've, we've given everything up to follow this guy, and now he's in a tomb. What are we going to do? See, the early church faced this for that brief period of time. So I can't imagine what they must have felt like for those three days. But in it to need to know that just like he said, three days was all it was. See, we can have faith in that. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith is the power of hope in the presence of doubt. Faith is the power of hope in the presence of doubt. You know what? Sometimes we think faith is something. I remember as a kid, I used to think that, you know, Faith can move mountains, so somehow I could trick my brain into completely believing something without a doubt that I could make things happen. Well, that's not quite the right answer. Yes, faith can move mountains. Faith can do amazing things. I've seen miracles in my life. I can spend a whole afternoon talking to you about incredible things I've seen God do. There's no doubt that he did it. But faith is the power of hope 
in the presence of doubt. Because we all have seasons that a little bit of doubt creeps in. Maybe you didn't know this, but did you know that for 300 years after Jesus was crucified, there really was no assembled Bible? So think about the miracle that the church survived at all for that 300-year period. How did they survive? Because they had hope. They had the hope of what they'd been told. How did the church survive the Roman persecution? There are people that try to to try to explain the way that it happened, but there's a historical document after historical document that shows how the Roman Empire at one point really tried to crack down on, on this new religion. Not only that, that the, that the Jews didn't like it either, so there was, there was this ganging up that was trying to stomp this thing out and destroy it. Some try to say that Christianity really didn't start till over 300 years later when the New Testament began to assemble. Well, Kim and I were watching a show the other night and they were trying to explain, you know, let me can I tell you something. When the History Channel or some of these things say that they've got some new Bible evidence, don't watch it, it's trash. I mean, I realize I don't know everything, but I sit there and watch stuff like that. I was like, you got that so wrong. Would you guys quit talk, going and talking to people that their whole point is to be skeptics? So there's many that try to say, well, well, the, 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 the church didn't really, Christianity didn't really gain, gain traction until about after 300 years after Jesus' death. And, and when this began to be accepted, then it began to grow. Yes, it multiplied, I'm sure, at that point. But it, the church, from the time Jesus resurrected, never ceased to exist and continued to grow that whole time. Why? Because of the hope. See, the problem is those you have writings of people like Pliny the Younger. It was the governor of Bithynia. And North East is what now is northwestern Turkey. And he wrote many letters to a friend of his called Emperor Trajan. And all of them were written in the early, early 100s. Listen to this. This is a little long, but this is, I think this will help you. I, have, I asked them, this remember he's writing to this emperor, if they were Christians. And if they admit it, I repeat the question a second and third time with a warning of the punishment awaiting them. If they persist, I order them to be led away for execution. For whatever the nature of their admission, I am convinced that their stubbornness and their unshakable obstinacy ought not go unpunished. They also declared that the sum total of their guilt or error amounted to no more than this. They met regularly before dawn at a fixed day to chant verses alternately among themselves in the honor of Christ as if to a God and also to bind themselves by oath not for any criminal purpose but to abstain from theft, robbery, and adultery. This made me decide it was all the more necessary to extract, from, to extract the truth by torture from two slave women whom they called deaconesses. I found nothing but a degenerate sort of cult carried to extravagant lengths. So much for the Christians not being around 
in that 300-year period. See, so so think about this. The Jews, the Romans, the authorities tried to stamp out what they called the way. They would later be called Christians. But think about this. Where's the Roman Empire now? How giant is the Jewish nation? But yet by the most recent estimates, there are 2.18 billion Christians on this planet. And the number grows every day. Somehow a tiny handful of Jesus followers survived the first century. They survived the Roman Empire. They survived the the oppression of of the Jewish religion. When all these things were gathered against them, how did they survive that? Now over 2,000 years later, look at where we're at. The only explanation to me that there could possibly be is because of the empty tomb, we are never without hope. And that hope drove them. Because guess what? Here's the great thing about hope. Hope can't be killed. So hope is alive. All the hope was dim for three days I were talking about, but then it arose. What an incredible day that must have been. Have you ever been in that situation where it seems like all hope is lost? Hollywood has made billions on setting up stories where it looks like all hope is lost and somehow, in some form, the cavalry comes riding over the hill and things are rescued in just the nick of time. That story's not original to them. That story is the essence of the gospel. That when all hope seemed lost, when it seemed like there was no way, when it seemed like as the song they sang said, that, that, that death had, had his grip, that, that the enemy had, that, that had caused Jesus to fall and he was in the tomb and there was no hope. And you can imagine that those three days must have seemed like eternity to those that believed. But then you get the account of Matthew, one of the eyewitnesses, Matthew 28, 1 through 6. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for him, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. These are the words that were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a firsthand eyewitness, Matthew. Here's another thing to think of. Not even one of Jesus' 11 closest followers ever wavered from the truth of their account. They never backed down. Even though they faced threats, beatings, stonings, being boiled in oil, even facing death, 
We have in other recorded history accounts of some of them as they were facing their death, still pleading with those that had gathered to watch them die to give their life to Christ. You don't do that for a hoax. You do that because you know that you know that it's the truth because you saw it with your own eyes. You saw that he was laid in the tomb. You saw that he rose from the grave. Paul would later write in 56 to 57 AD, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Cephas is Peter, by the way, if you didn't know. That he appeared before more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That's a lot of witnesses. See, the truth is hope did rise. And there are millions upon millions of Christians today who are still witnesses. Oh, I didn't see what Jesus get up from the tomb, but I know he's alive in here. I see the evidence of what he does. I see the evidence of many people that were lost completely without hope, that looked like their lives were coming to an end, that they had no place to turn. All of a sudden, lives dramatically turned around and hope restored. Why is this thing we call Christianity continuing to grow? Because there are still witnesses of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Because he rose up. He, he restored our lives. That hope can still rise in your life. See, there are those that see no hope. And there is nothing worse than hopelessness. So our worship team comes this morning. I want to share just a little bit as we prepare to close. Why do you think we see today? I mean, you can go stand in the checkout line at the grocery store, and you can look at the magazine rack and see story after story of tragedy of people that seem to have everything that we would ever chase after in this world. Yet they tragically lose their lives, many times taking their own life. Why? They've lost hope. The things we chase after do not bring hope. Matter of fact, I'm going to take that a step further. You don't hear it preached much anymore because it's kind of gone out of style. But make no mistake, hell is a real place and people really will go there. It's not something that's made up by the church. Jesus himself spoke of it. We have recordings. We have record of him saying that. And you hear the description of 
fire and brimstone and torture and all those things. And that's, that's a reality too. But can I lay out to you today, I don't think that that is the worst part about hell. Let this sink in a moment. That's not the worst part about hell. The worst part about hell is the fact is it will ultimately be the complete loss of hope. There will never be any hope again if that's where you end up. And to me, that is the most disastrous thing we can wrap our brains around. A complete loss of hope. Utter hopelessness with no chance of anything ever being better again. That ought to scare anybody. Because when we face disease, when we face, we have a tragic car accident, when we face things in this world that we face, at least we can always say, but you know, maybe there's hope for a better tomorrow. But hell will be the absolute absence of hope, Period. The good news is this. Hope did rise. And today is the day that hope can take resonance in your life. Because of the empty tomb, we are never without hope. John 11, 25 through 26, then we're going to pray. Jesus is talking to Mary and Martha that had just laid their brother Lazarus to rest. And this conversation is going on. And the question is asked of Jesus, basically said, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. For everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the key words right there. Do you believe this? That's the key to the whole thing. If we believe that he walked this earth, if we believe that he showed us the way to the Father, if we believe that he laid down his life to pay for our sins, if we believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit he rose on that third day, then he is our resurrection and our life. And we are never without hope. But if you don't believe, or you've never confessed that belief, that's the danger. That's when life can truly be hopeless. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the front. They're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar.
And if you're here today, And something about this message of hope has has stirred your soul. Something has made you think that, you know what? I truly need that hope. That maybe somewhere along the line you say, you know what? I've gone through and and I've faced those moments of hopelessness and and I need that. And I certainly don't want to face the eternity we talked about where there'll be a complete absence of hope. And trust me, I'm only laying all this out here because I I care what happens to you and your life. Jesus cares. Jesus gave his life. Jesus went through all he went through just so that you could have hope, so that you could have the opportunity that I'm talking about today. So if you hear and you say, I need that hope. We're not going to do anything weird to you. There's no secret handshake to get into the club. We don't have any weird initiation. We just want to pray with you and make sure that you have the assurance of that hope in your heart. If that's you, as they sing this song, come, come, let us pray with you. is calling and have you come to the end of yourself and do you thirst for a drink from the well and Jesus is calling don't put it off because every one of us that are believers at some point we made this walk Come, don't hesitate. to wait and Jesus is calling and bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born and Jesus is calling and 
forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus What it's about. And oh, what a Savior! Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah! Christ is risen. Bow down before. for joining us today. Happy Easter to everyone. Before you leave, I want to encourage you uh, to take this, take, take a step 
if you're not plugged into a church, I want you to consider this. When Christ, when Christ left, he didn't leave people to their own. He didn't leave them to, to live out faith by themselves. He encouraged them to gather together. It is vital to our spiritual lives and our spiritual health to gather together. So if you don't have a church home, let me invite you to be part of this church home. If you do have a church home, I want you to get plugged in and allow the church to help build you up. You need the church to encourage you. You really need the church to come around you and support you so that that life and that hope inside of you can grow. So let me encourage you to do that. Now, if you're a parent this morning, I want to tell you, we have an an, uh, candy scramble for the kids. And the way that we're going to do that today is we're going to go out and you're going to pick your kids up. So you're going to check your kids out from the back. And then out here in the front lawn, we've got uh, three different sections that are broken up and there'll be some announcements out there for how you get your kids set up. It'll be relatively fast. uh, So we don't want to take a a lot of time, but if you'll go ahead and go back there, if you're a guest with us and you filled out one of those guest cards, please turn that in. Uh, There's a sign outside that says guest. If you'll just drop it off over there. And if you'd like to speak with one of us, uh, you can see pastor or you can see me. We'd love to meet with you today. God bless you. Have a happy Easter.